everyone, and welcome to Intentionally Out of Office. Today is the wrap-up to season one, which means it's also the Q&A episode. I'm so excited to share the questions that have come in from listeners just like you that span a number of the topics touched on in this first season of the podcast. So grab a warm beverage, maybe a coffee, a tea. I have one right here. Get comfortable and let's dig into these questions. If you are looking for a certain question, feel free to check out the show notes and see the whole list of questions that are there. I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to any of the episodes of this podcast. It is a creative project that I decided to jump into, and it has been a learn-as-you-go process with the help of Courtney and Sam from Swiftly Media, who have really been such a support for editing, producing, and branding this podcast. Whether you are like the majority of listeners in Canada and the U.S., or as far as the UAE, Australia, South Africa, India, Netherlands, the UK. Thank you so much for your curiosity, for being willing to see how this podcast might add something to your life, how exploring what might fit best for you, what could be some things you might shift, what possibilities exist for your time off. I really am inspired by the willingness of people to share what they're learning and let me know all the things that are coming up for them in the process. So let's dive into the questions. Here's the first one. How have you maintained your commitment to living an intentionally out of office lifestyle? So the intentionally out of office lifestyle is a really interesting thing to reflect on because I think I've been doing it for a while without having a title for it. There has been this recognition in my life that there are so many beautiful things about life and so many areas to consider. And how are you going to make time for them? That has been a key consideration for me, for sure, in deciding to start the podcast as well, in that there are things that we want to do in life And where are we going to get that time from? There will never be a better time, perhaps, or even think about how you never will have more time than the time that you have now. I think those ideas have not been present in my thinking before. When I think about putting projects off or thinking that there'll be more space at a different time. It's really more about how you're looking at things. And for me, that has meant focusing on my mindset and what I think is possible and also recognizing what I want to prioritize in my life. This has also been a journey of greater transparency and vulnerability. I knew that starting a podcast would mean that there would be times I would share stories and wonder, oh, should I have shared that? (laughs) Or this is my opinion, but what happens if that differs from someone else's life experience? Ultimately though, I come back to my intentions are good and I am really in support of choosing your life and being an active player in that choice and making time for the things that matter the most. Number two, this is a question that actually came up a couple of times. It's about overcoming guilt about your intentions, not meeting someone else's needs, or if you're putting your intentions or yourself first. And how do you balance the desires that you might have for yourself with also being in relationships or part of a family. The first thing that comes up for me is whether the guilt is coming from within yourself or 
people are voicing that to you and sharing that you're not meeting their expectations. And I ask this now because sometimes we can create a narrative around what we think we should be doing because we think we know what the other people who are impacted by our decisions are thinking. And it can be a lot easier, especially in close relationships, to simply ask the question of how people are feeling and what their expectations are in this moment and what a shared solution would look like or what a win-win for each of you would look like. I think back to really early days of living in Toronto and saying yes to things that I would rather say no to. But I didn't know at that time that I would rather say no to them because I thought they were things that I should want to do. I thought they were people that I should want to hang out with. I think there's a need to have acceptance for how at different parts of life, you don't have all the information. You don't know how you're going to feel potentially until after the situation has finished and you've moved on to something else. But when I think back to those instances when I said yes to others, which was a no to myself, it actually over time built resentment. And I don't think that the people I was with, if they would have known that slowly over time, there was this sense of resentment building in me for spending time doing things that I didn't really want to do, I don't think they would have wanted me to come or they would have wanted me to come and be a part of it in a way that was more fulfilling to me. So really it was my issue of putting my own needs to the side to try and please others when I hadn't even truly checked in about what would please others. I think we can have ideas about what we think people want from us. And maybe it is just showing up. <laughs> Certain events, maybe people just want you to show up and be there and be in the photo. That's maybe another discussion about why do they want you to show up and be in the photo. But on this topic of guilt that we can feel from putting ourselves first and our intentions and our needs first, I recognize that it's really tricky, especially with family or good friends, people that you are committed to having a relationship with and you want to build meaningful moments together and you want to have fulfilling memories that you look back on. At the same time, I think it's really important to give yourself space in your relationships with others. And I think it's important because the more comfortable you feel in yourself and how your choices are building your life, the better you will be at showing up in relation to others and saying confidently how you want to build that relationship with someone, be it a friendship or a romantic relationship. One of the visuals I thought to share is something that I read about in the book Do Less by Kate Northrup. She shares how you put your big rocks in first. So imagine you have a container and you have all these rocks out in front of you. Some are bigger, some are medium-sized, and some are much smaller. Your big rocks need to go in first, which means those are your priorities, the things that you value the most, and the things that are going to bring you the most fulfillment. And only you will know what that is for you right now in your life. And it will change over time as well, if you're lucky, because that will bring in new experiences and new perspectives. But think about those big rocks. What are they for you? What are your non-negotiables that you want in that container? Because you want all of it in the container. You don't want the big rock sticking over the top of the container because you've filled your bottom part of the container with all of these little rocks, your big rocks are going in first, the things that are most important to you. And then after that, you 
choose your medium rocks. So your things that are maybe not your first priority, but still important to you. And you can put those around your big rocks in the container. And then depending on how much space you have left, you can fit in some of those smaller rocks. For me, this way of imagining how we can fill our lives, also make them very beautiful rocks. Texture, color. There are some really colorful rocks that I have seen in my life. So Pinterest could be an inspiration for that. But back to this visualization in that, what is it that you want for sure as a big rock? And it might be given this question, prioritizing your romantic relationship or your connection with your children. It reminds me what I shared on episode nine about making sure that you're making time and scheduling things that are a priority to you. So if you are feeling a sense of guilt because you are going away without your partner and there's this sense of guilt because maybe you should be spending that time with them. How are you going to make time to spend time with them? Are you going to schedule a weekend or a vacation away that is just for the two of you? Or vice versa, if you have a really close group of friends and you're in a new relationship or you have just had a baby and your marriage is evolving, how are you making time for those different parts of your life that are important to you in an intentional way? And there are a few ways that you can do that. Looking at the year ahead and thinking about when you might be able to schedule that time together can be really helpful. Some people will say, oh, but I want it to be spontaneous. I don't want everything to feel scheduled. I get that. So maybe leave the details of the time open and don't fill them out, but schedule the time because whether you are looking at your children's schedules or your partner's schedule or work schedules, there are demands on our time all the time. And if we don't take that big rock and put it in our schedule and say, this is what's happening and I know this is happening then because I want it to happen, it will likely get filled with smaller rocks. And I think that's when we start to question, am I spending time on the right things? One other thing I want to say about this is don't should on yourself. I am not the first person to say this, but I remember back in 2013 and 2014, it was a period in my life when I was pushing back on all of the things that I had internalized as should wanting to do and should aspire to and should follow. And I wouldn't even want to hear should in any type of sentence, even as a normal verb of you should do your laundry. No, should, there, there has to be another word for should. That was on the extreme, but here I would encourage you to think about what would it feel like if I take the should out of this? I should be spending time with this person. I should want to go here. And if you do that, how does your relationship to those other people feel? Do you still have this sense of wanting to spend time with them or is it really more of an obligation? So this brings us back to having a sense of your values and what's important to you right now, figuring out how you can find ways to be involved in things that are happening in people's lives and also having a sense of boundaries around your own time, knowing why you might say yes to something and why you might say no to something. And also in a considerate, empathetic way, being willing to share with another person why you won't be able to attend this weekend getaway or why you're available on Saturday up until Sunday at 12 noon, but not Sunday until 6 p.m. 
once we get comfortable with having those conversations, which are really difficult at the start, but it's all about practice, there is this sense of a greater confidence in why you're choosing what you're choosing. And I really encourage anyone who struggles with this feeling of tension to remember that it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's not selfish to have desires that may be different from others. What it means is that you will have the opportunity, the wonderful life-expanding growth opportunity to come to other people and share what those desires are and help them understand why it's important to you and how in relationship and partnership and community, everyone can have their needs met, maybe in ways that they didn't even imagine because until you had that conversation, you didn't know what was possible. But now there has been a new possibility that has opened up. The final thing I'll say on this, just because it made me think of this just now in opening up possibilities, sometimes we go into these conversations with a lot of hesitation. And I can think back to times in my life when I was in a relationship and wanted to do something that was different than what that person wanted to do. And I would almost approach the situation being apologetic for wanting what I wanted or kind of asking permission, which meant that I was already setting the tone for how the interaction would go. So there might be some coaching that you need to do on yourself some mindset work of how to feel confident and knowing that what you want matters so that when you enter into that conversation, you are coming at it from a place of, I am worthy of spending my time in this way. And I'm open to figuring out what's possible for this and for us and for what we want as a unit. And so let's talk about it and let's be open and let's be creative. A few years ago, I was reading an article. I can't remember if it was in Vogue, but it was a really great day and I don't buy magazines. So it was like a special thing to be at a spa and pick up this magazine where Taylor Swift was talking about, I think coming towards her 30th birthday. And she shared how one of the things she had learned from friends who were married were that if they were in conflict or having some sort of tension, they would look at each other and say, same team. And I think that's so powerful because whether it's a romantic relationship, your children, a friendship, you're on the same team. We want each other to be fulfilled and do things that they love doing. So let's remind ourselves silently or openly that we are on the same team. And that this is a great opportunity to imagine what's possible. Over to our next question. If I want to integrate new practices from each of the episodes into my life, how do you suggest I get started? James Clear is someone that I really appreciate his perspective on how you might consider taking just one thing and integrating it into your life based on something that you already do. He refers to this as habit stacking. The example that I'll provide here is if you want to take a walk after work every day, whether you are working from home or you've been in the office or that looks different on different days, but every day at 6.30 p.m., you want to go for a walk on your own or with your family, might even want to do some forest bathing like we talked about earlier in the season. If you can stack that on to an existing activity, he says that you will be more likely to integrate that into your life. So think about whether you eat dinner before 6.30 or after 6.30, maybe your walk could be a part of that evening ritual. And you can think about other activities you might want to integrate into your dinner conversation with your family, having conversations about what went well and 
what didn't go so well that day, whatever activity that you have in your life that is already something that is done regularly, what would you like to add on to that? And that will make it a little bit easier. The other thing that I'll bring up is try to make it something that isn't a really arduous, big task that you want to start with. If it can be done in a few minutes, even better. I think that will give you a greater sense of confidence if you're able to build that into your schedule and see the progress and see you doing it and showing up in that way. And over time, you might build more and more onto it as well. I also like what James Clear talks about being the 1% better, making those choices for yourself that on such a small level seem like you're not actually changing how you live life, but actually over time really contribute to a significant shift. When you look back, that is the 1% better. One of the stories that I read from his book was the direction of a plane and a 1% variant from the direction that they were supposed to be going in landed the plane in a totally different destination. And so thinking about how small things that you do every day and choose a positive thing that you can do every day will have you arriving at a place, maybe even better than you imagined, but will give you a greater sense of integrating things into your life that feel like you're building an intentional life, you're building meaningfulness into your life and doing it in a way that works for you. Here's our next question. What can conversations look like at a dinner table with friends? Is there a dinner party question to get friends to think more about their intentions, whether for the night, personal lives, or professional lives? I have a couple of friends that I think would benefit from these types of conversations, but I would be hesitant to dive in. What ideas do you have for starting those conversations? I love this question because there's such a willingness there to share your own journey and also be willing to show others what's possible. And with that, you are already being the example. You are already thinking about showing up in a way that inspires others to think about what matters most for their evening, for their weekend, for their life. And so I would say, continue to be that example and know that people are listening to the conversations that we have, the things that we say, the way that we frame things, the choices that we make. And maybe it's in you sharing about your recent vacation and some of the things that you chose to do and why you chose to do them that will help people see how you made those decisions and also potentially give them something to think about. The greatest thing that I think you can do in these situations is allow people to come to their conclusions on their own time. And just like we're having this Q&A today, I'm hoping that some of these details that I share will plant seeds in your minds and you'll explore later on. I think that's what you do with your friends, your children, your family. It's about sharing information and then allowing people to have their own experience, learn their own lessons, and being willing to be with them on that process of maybe they come back to you a year later and say, hey, you spent that weekend up here, right? And you said you really liked this certain thing that they would never think they would do, can you tell me more about why you did that or who you contacted? So people surprise you. Let's move on to this next question. I have enjoyed learning more about the concept of mindfulness. In your opinion, what is the most important aspect of a mindfulness practice? I did give this one some thought because, wow, you could choose a lot of things. For me, the most important practice I would say is observing and trying to observe without judgment. So whether this is in 
a meditation practice when I'm sitting in silence and just witnessing my thoughts come up and not attaching a story to them, just kind of letting them come up and then leave or in everyday life when situations happen and you want to dig your heels in or cling on to something, but how instead might we be curious about what's happening? And that is for me, the practice of observation. I think there has been a lot of benefit for me personally in taking that pause between reaction and response. So something happens, we react instinctively, but we have a choice if something happens to take a breath and instead of reacting to respond in a way that is the best representation of yourself and how you would want yourself to respond. It is definitely a practice and is something that I continue to work on when things are not going how I would like them to go. Life presents us with those challenges all the time. So how do we use this practice of observation to make decisions that are in support of the life that we want, the time that we want to be spending doing certain activities on the weekend, on our vacations, when things are going really well, how can we observe them and feel the gratitude for that? And when things are not going as we had hoped, how do we observe that and feel whatever feeling is coming up, but not getting attached to the story that might come from that? And humans are master storytellers, even in their own minds. So here's another question, which is kind of like a follow-up to the last one. What do you do when things don't go as planned? For example, if you have an injury or there's a delay, what do you do when you can't control what happens next? I think about all the times that there are things outside of our control that happen that impact us and that We have a choice how we respond to. It may not always feel like you have a choice because back to our human instincts, we can feel really overwhelmed by emotion. And this is also a story of my own personal growth in that in the past, I would have probably been like, oh, something bad is happening. Well, let's just not talk about it and push through and figure out what I'm going to do instead and pretend like everything is okay (laughs) when I might have been really disappointed. And the learning for me is in the willingness to feel the feelings. Feeling your feelings does not mean getting wrapped up in all the stories of how things are going wrong and how this is always what happens to you and all the reasons that got you here and all the things that could have gone differently. It's about recognizing that you might feel disappointed, sad, angry, a whole range of emotions of which I have learned so much from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, and Dr. Mark Brackett's book, Permission to Feel. Those feelings are there to let you know that this was important to you. So allow yourself to recognize that it was important to you. And it is. And then ask yourself, is there something that you could still do? It won't look the same as what you had anticipated and maybe even built up that anticipation for. But what else is possible? What is your plan B? What is something that you would still like to do even though it wasn't your first choice? For me, this brings me back to the moment and the reality of the situation that, okay, this isn't what I would have chosen for myself or this situation, but will I still go on the trip even though I have this injury that was unexpected? Will I go on a road trip now that I know my vacation to a tropical destination was canceled? Will I look forward to our rescheduled vacation because it was canceled at the last minute? 
There are things that we can do after we move through whatever feelings that we're feeling to remind ourselves that tomorrow is a new day. And I am so thankful every day that I wake up and I'm like, woohoo, here we are, a new day, a fresh start, and maybe even an evolution of how you're feeling, a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. What advice do you have for catching up on sleep when you choose to accept a last minute invitation or stay up late or get up early? Don't we always put ourselves in these situations where we're like, gotta get up early to do this or, oh, I'm just gonna stay a bit longer to be human, right? I talked a little bit about this on the episode about rest, sleep, and taking care of yourself. The advice that I would actually give is not so much about catching up on sleep, but being kind to yourself in choosing what you've chosen. So let me break that down a little bit. You can choose to do an activity that will mean that you'll have less sleep. And if your sleep is really important to you, you might be feeling stress about that. It might feel like even before the activity has started, you're already tired because you know that this will impact your sleep. That rumination and the story that we can tell ourselves at times about, oh, I had to get up early to take my neighbor's dog out for a walk because they're away and now I'm feeling more tired for the day. It's almost like there's a mental load that we begin carrying when we hold on to that story. So can you instead choose to recognize that, yes, this is different than your everyday or maybe your routine or what you usually choose, but can you be present with the experience that you've accepted? And if we go back to the second question that we talked about today, if this is really something that you don't want to be doing, check in with yourself about why you took it on and Think about whether you would take it on again if it's causing you a lot of angst. If it is something that you willfully are taking on to help out a neighbor for whatever reason, being present with the experience and using your senses to be on that walk with the dog and be present, it won't give you more sleep, but it might give you a whole new way of looking at your day. You might still be tired at the end of the day, but you might have gained something that you wouldn't have gained if you didn't do that activity. So instead of looking at this as how can we catch up on something that is finite, can we change how we look at it? And in the process, can we give ourselves more compassion to recognize that certain days will be harder for different reasons than others? And giving ourselves permission to, again, feel how we feel and make any tweaks over time. Because after all, this is just constant practice to refine what's working and what's not working. Here's the next question that came in also on the topic of sleep. The circadian rhythm seems to be a very important part of a well-functioning body and having an awareness of your rhythm would be helpful. Yes, this is something that we covered in the episode on rest, sleep, and taking care of yourself. Do you have any recommendations on how to track this or chart a person's rhythm so they can maximize it in their daily lives? Being aware of your body's internal clock, be it the circadian rhythm and or the infradian rhythm, is really helpful. I have not looked into any of the technology that's available for charting different energy levels during the day in terms of when you might be at your best and when you might need more rest and what's happening in your body. So you might think about checking out some of the latest technology and the advancements that are being made there. A much more low technology solution would be to check in with yourself throughout the day and have a chart for when you're feeling most energetic, least energetic, 
had that extra coffee, couldn't get to sleep, stayed up watching Netflix, whatever you can identify being times that you're really feeling your best and able to bring your greatest level of energy. For me, that has been really helpful. It has also given me permission to be more in the ebbs and flows of life and look at energy as something to take care of rather than to run into the ground for the purpose of being productive or producing. Personally, being a woman, I didn't talk about this a lot on the episode, but learning more about my infradian rhythm and how energy changes throughout the course of the month was life-changing for me. It completely changed my level of self-acceptance in terms of my energy levels, but it also made me implement changes to my lifestyle, which have made me feel more in control of my energy, more in relationship to my energy is maybe a better way to put it. Working with this information, whether it's from an app or from you writing it down and tracking it yourself is so helpful to building a life where, you know, let's even say on on your weekends or on certain vacation days where you do need more of a break or certain times you'll be ready to be more active. That can be helpful for you, but also the other people that you're with. So you're kind of managing those expectations as you go and there are fewer surprises. How do you balance and adapt your routines in a new environment when you are traveling? I love this question because it brings me back to traveling somewhere and being in a new environment. For me, that's really exciting. The memory that came up just now as I read that question was when I traveled to the south of Spain in 2014 and chose to go to this really small place called San Jose in Cabo de Gato National Park. It was a really remote place. When I told people later on in my trip where I went, they were like, Spaniards, why would you go there? (laughs) And I think I had found it online and thought it was cool to go to a national park. It was this very small village on the ocean and I would wake up in the morning and prepare my breakfast of tomatoes and cucumbers, yogurt, and take it outside most days and sit on the roof of the place that was just in front of where I was staying. They were flat roofs and look out on the ocean. That is a very relaxed way to start your day and that might not always be possible. What I would suggest is knowing what your non-negotiables are. For me, breakfast is a non-negotiable. Maybe it doesn't have to be luxuriously looking over the ocean, but I have to have breakfast in the morning. I also, before I have breakfast, like to have warm water with lemon. So my non-negotiables are often having water, hopefully with lemon in the morning, and building that routine into my day before I have breakfast and then getting on with my day. Doing that routine, which is something that I do at home, makes me feel grounded. And so maybe there's something that is a practice for you. Maybe it is something mindful like journaling or meditation or something completely different that you take with you from your home and helps you on your travels to get into a new routine, but in a different environment. There is such joy though in deciding to be present in this new environment. I love the possibilities of being in a new place and exploring and learning, seeing what's out there. So how can you set yourself up to be in the best state of mind to go into that day? All right, now we have a bit of a controversial question. What does your ideal environment look like if you need to work while you're intentionally out of office. So this is an interesting one for me because at first I was like, oh, working while you're intentionally out of office. Hmm. But the question I would come back with is, what are we defining as work? 
Obviously, if you are in a nine to five job and you are asked to work because something has come up and you are the expert in that area, that is one definition of work. There could also be another one where you have a nine to five and you also have an entrepreneurial venture. And that is another form of working, but it's outside of the structured form of work. So how do we manage these aspects of work when we are on our vacation or on our weekend and doing all that we can to be intentionally out of office? My advice here would be to try and define it within a certain period. So if it's a crisis situation and it's contained, can you take care of it and then have it be all done? Or do you need a situation where you're checking in or doing certain things at a set time every day? If you're able to define when you are going to handle this work and get it done, that gives you at least for me, a greater sense of control. And then it's not on my mind and weighing on my mind of when am I working on this? I should be working on this. There's that should word again. And it allows you the space to truly enjoy all of the time in between that you are not dealing with this work situation. As you wrap it up, I'd encourage you to find ways to celebrate how you have included this. It might seem counter to what I'm saying, but celebrate your flexibility. Celebrate being adaptable. Acknowledge that you have shown up in a way that was different than how you thought you would be showing up during your vacation or your weekend. But how did you make the best of it? Here's the next question. You talk about holding yourself accountable, but what does this really mean? For example, if I decide something is good for me and I make a commitment to myself to follow through, but then something changes, is that a failure to hold myself accountable? Accountability for me is a way that I check in with myself to ask if I am doing the things that I said I would. But if something comes up, if something changes, especially if it's outside of your control and it's another person, a place, a change that happened in society, which is really a part of being a human in society, the level of accountability that I hold myself to also has to change. And that can be really hard if you have high levels of accountability or high standards for yourself and your life and what you want to happen. So there might need to be a moment where you stop and you offer yourself some empathy and allow yourself to recognize that situation changed and what you originally thought your outcome would be, what you wanted that outcome to be. Maybe it's not available. Maybe it's not available right now, but how can you still complete or progress in a way that is in pursuit of what you wanted? So it may not get you to where you thought you were going, but at the same time, is your intention still there? Is that part of you that set out to accomplish this certain thing because it's good for you? Are you still being your cheerleader? Are you still supporting yourself? Are you still showing yourself that even though what you wanted is no longer available, you get to choose something else and be proud of yourself for choosing that. You get to be proud of yourself for recognizing that you had to change course or that you wanted to change course and allowing that to be okay. I think other people in these situations can also be helpful. Other people that you trust, that you can go to as a sounding board to ask Does this sound like I'm helping myself or hindering myself? And through those conversations, you might come up with a new definition of what accountability that is uniquely yours, what that means to you, and how you can work that into whatever your vision is, your goals, or your intentions. I enjoyed episode six on maximizing vacation fulfillment. 
I'm curious, when you return from vacation, do you assess how well you did at maximizing your fulfillment and plan for change another time based on your reflections? If you do, what does that process look like? I don't every single time the weekend's over or a vacation is done assess in a formal written out way, but I do often think about what went well, what I enjoyed, what I enjoyed less, and things that I would change. And I say I don't formally write it down, but I kind of do in that I probably journal about it. And through my journaling practice, which I personally like to do every morning, I don't have a set time for journaling. I don't have a set amount of pages that I need to fill out. I just allow whatever wants to come out to come out. That does help me check in with myself and is a moment to make sure I'm giving myself the space to check in. I also think that the checking in process can be something that is done with others. I love how I have friends shared with me at the end of each day they were on vacation, they would ask each other, what was your favorite part of our day today? So that could be done in relationship. It can also be done, I think, back to a recent experience coming back from a weekend away. And I walked through the door of my home and I just felt off and I couldn't figure out why. So I I let it kind of simmer. And I realized that the conversations that I had had that weekend were not supporting the values that I try to show up with in my life. They didn't sit well with me. I needed to make some changes on how I would be applying that in future. And so there is that example for planning for change. I went back to the person and I shared some of my concerns and why it was important to me. And although it was scary because there was that fear of someone judging you for you holding what's important to you, that is true for me. And I know my intentions are good and I know I'm coming from a good place. And again, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, If we're on the same team and we have a relationship, whether that's, again, a friendship or romantic relationship, how are we supporting each other? How are we allowing for each other to live to their fullest potential and walk together? You sound like you've been on this journey for a long time. Were there any tipping points or aha moments that ultimately resulted in a step change for you? This is such a juicy question that could be its own podcast episode in itself and really is the inspiration for me to share on this podcast and to combine things that have brought me joy and fulfillment in my life and to be willing to put that out there to see if other people might resonate with the message. When I think back to how I had these inklings of there has to be something more. Here I am living my life, but I feel like something is missing. Something's not right. I don't even know how some of the magical moments started, but I remember a person at work reflecting on how I had this daily calendar at my desk. I'm pretty sure it was something like daily sayings from the Buddha. The first One that I remember truly feeling like, okay, there is something that I want to explore here was a statement around every day we have the choice to look at our lives and look at our environments and decide whether we are going to live in fear or if we're going to believe in possibility. And there were those mindset shift seeds that were planted for me of moving away from a very structured path to follow societal plan and see what else was possible. For me personally, the end of a career path was something that was unexpected, 
which had me rethinking everything that I had accepted, everything that I had chosen. For other people, I know that can be a health scare. It can be a tragedy in their family, a relationship ending, something that results in the experience of you deciding to explore what is almost counterculture. Counterculture in a way that's not extreme, but in a way that is stepping off of the path that is laid out for people and deciding what parts of that path do you want to include in your life. When I think about that, that's so much of this podcast, thinking about those parts of your life outside of work that are important to you and how do you make time for them and make sure that you're including what is most important to you. Ultimately, at that time in my life, when I had to reassess why I was choosing what I was choosing, I remember going to a yoga workshop at the time, and it was almost as if he was speaking to me at the start of the workshop by saying how at times in life, we feel like life is over. You may have lost your job, or someone might have died, or you may be going through health challenges of your own. But really, until you are no longer here in the form you are today, you get to keep living this story. And I think through all the experiences that I've had in my life, it is acknowledging that so many external factors make up our lives and color it and fill it with good things and challenging things. And also it's up to me how I interpret all of that. It's an everyday practice to choose to see the possibility, to choose to see how precious my time is and to know that there is no one size fits all for my life. It could change in the next little bit and there's no one size fits all for anyone else's life either. It's up to them and how they're choosing what's important. So that is our Q&A episode for today. Thank you so much once again for being a part of this journey for season one. I am really excited about bringing you season two have some interviews planned. So please look out for the return of the podcast in about a month's time in September. I'll be taking a rest from recording and working on some other aspects of the podcast. So this is a great time if you are wanting to catch up on some episodes, they are there for you. And feel free to reach out to me on social media or by email. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you're here. And until next time, take good care.